Hello, this is Melissa Hale Spencer, the editor of the Altamont Enterprise, and we are really honored today to have with us an arborist. His name is Joe Ozust, and I had to look up the word arborist in the dictionary. It means tree surgeon. So, welcome, Joe. Thank you for coming here today. Thanks so much for having me. I would just like to hear a little bit about how you got on this career path. What, what's your background? Where are you from originally? Well, I uh, I was I was born down in Dutchess County, and uh, I, I was really lucky to grow up with uh, with my parents and my uncle, who was a huge influence in my life uh, uh, with with regards to being outside and and just looking at trees and animals and that i really have him to think he's he's passed away but that's one thing that he's left with me uh is a real love for nature and the outside and uh so that's that's what got me started on this path and uh so since you were a boy you were out in out in the yard or in the woods and you were acquainted with trees and always Oh, that's great! Uh, yeah, as far as far back as I can remember, I've always been uh, involved with trees in one one way or another, and uh, so that's uh, that's that's what I do. Yeah. So now, what kind of training does it take? How how do you learn what to do as an arborist? Well, I mean, officially, uh, I went to uh, SUNY Morrisville um, a horticulture degree, uh, and that got my foot in the door to. You know, several other tree companies and uh, a couple of landscape companies, and then, um, and then I own my own business for a while, uh, doing tree care, and then I started working for uh, a, a fairly large tree company down in New Jersey, and uh, and then once our our daughter uh, Willow was born. Uh, Wait, we, I have to interrupt. Your daughter is named Willow, <laughs> like the tree. It was it was the only name that uh, that that my wife would uh, concede to. Uh, I had some other I had some other names, but uh, oh, w- Willow beautiful. was the one that uh, that we went to. How yeah. Old, how old is Willow? Uh, two and a half. Oh my gosh, is she graceful like a willow uh, tree? She is perfect. Yep, <laughs> and that, that's funny you say that because that's like the that's the exact meeting of uh, of Willow is graceful, uh, slender, willowy. Oh. Oh my gosh! Yeah, that's really awesome. She's uh, she's the best. Oh, that's neat. And she too, just like I was with my uh, uncle, she's always out in the out in the gardens with me, and uh, she goes even goes on some uh, uh, tree appointments. So at two, she loves it. Yeah. Oh wow! Yep. So I can see her futures. What that's going to include <clears throat> isn't that neat? She'll do what she'll do what she's meant to do, but. Uh, <laughs> I guess I did have some influence. Yeah. yeah. Oh, that's great. Well, what brought Joe here that sparked our interest is we've been getting a lot of releases from the Department of Environmental Conservation about the spotter, spotted lanternfly. The first one in Albany County was found in a parked car in Crossgates Mall that had come up from Pennsylvania, and it got um, a search underway in the Pine Bush area. No more were found. But um, the DEC is often sending out notices on various kinds of 
invasive species, and we're going to go over a whole list of them with Joe and learn as much as we can. And we're just starting out with this one because it's topical and in the news now, and Joe let me know beforehand, of course, he doesn't know a lot about this one because he hasn't dealt with it. It's brand new in the state. But what what kind of things can you share with us about the lanternfly? That- well, one of them is sort of interesting in that uh, if... If this insect didn't potentially have the uh, uh, the implications that it does to attack the the beneficial crops like hops and and some of the other agricultural uh, products, we we may be having we may have been having a very different conversation uh, about using this for bio- for biological control on on the ailanthus tree, which is also an invasive species, and it's also the preferred host of uh, of the lanternfly. But unfortunately, it its uh, its host does uh, it's it's not confined to just the just the uh, the tree of heaven or ailanthus, uh, which is the genus. It uh, does go out to uh, to plants that we uh, that are that are valuable. Um, so the the life cycle of the uh, of the insect, uh, pretty simple. It, it lays its eggs uh, uh, on on a lot of actually different things more than just trees. It lays lays egg masses on things that are uh, near trees, uh, uh, and, and it really looks like a um, sort of like a like a patch of mud uh, on on. Wherever the legs are, eggs are laid, it's sort of a waxy coating that that the female uh, adult uh, puts over them, and, and that's what we see. One of the concerns with that is that the uh, with uh, with any invasive like like with any invasive species is that uh, we want to limit the movement of the insect or the insect's eggs. And so one of the concerns is that if we, you know, say park a car underneath a, an ailanthus tree or, or a tree that is infected, that we may actually, you know, move that car somewhere else and then and then move the eggs with it. Uh, so it, it, one of the one of the recommendations uh, uh, from the DEC and Cornell uh, is to, you know, if you have stuff like ailanthus trees that are over your driveway that cars are commonly parked you know you may want to just get rid of those right away uh, another method of control uh, because because it does prefer the uh, uh, the ailanthus tree they're they're recommending that uh, that we remove about 90 percent of the ailanthus trees on your property once it's found once the insect is found and then leave a small amount for uh, for the uh, the lanternfly to uh, feed on, and then we go ahead and, and inject those trees with an insecticide. So we're sort of baiting them in, and then oh, and then so using that. So you're getting clustered tightly into one area that you can then zap. Yeah. Well, the trees will be. It'll be. Uh, uh, it's an, an insective, uh, a uh, systemic insecticide that tree takes up, and then once the once they feed on that, because they're they're a piercing sucking insect. Uh, where they feed on the juices of the plant, they're also feeding on the insecticide, which kills them. Uh, so that's that's really the the plan right now, as far as I know. Uh, like you said earlier, I don't know a whole lot about the the insect, but um, 
Well, the DEC is advising people, if they see them, to take pictures and send them in because they're trying to track them. And from what I understand in Pennsylvania, where they're prevalent, they produce like a honeydew kind of sticky texture where people, if they even walk outside in some of the areas that are heavily infested, get like coated with this yeah, the the stuff. the 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 honeydew is actually it's a it's a byproduct. It's a pathogen. It's a it's a uh, it's called sooty mold, um, and it's it's a uh, it's a result of the waste product of the insect because uh, they're feeding on the juices of the plant, which are which are high in sugar, the glucose, and then they uh, because their excrement is sugar. Uh, that that turns into that black sooty mold uh, pathogen, and then what happens is the uh, photo- photosynthesis is really compromised because uh, because the sooty mold gets on the leaves and uh, and the plant can't make food, and then it ends up losing vigor and, and eventually dying. Wow. It sounds like a horror film. So, of the kinds of pests that you've dealt with that have been in New York in this area for a while, does one stand out? I, I just know as a kid, I grew up in Buffalo, New York, in the 1950s, and it used to be all the main thoroughfares had these beautiful elm trees just arching over the roads. It was, it was just like a cathedral. And then Dutch elm came through, and they're all gone. They just, <laughs> it just, they just disappeared. Um, they're no longer there. So, I mean, have you dealt with in your experience any kind of a? And as I understand, that was a fungus that was carried by a series of beetles that, that came um, from Asia, I think. Same same scenario. It's the it, that was uh, that was the elm bark beetle, yeah. and it's still a. Uh, we still have Dutch elm disease to deal with here. So, are there you know, any elm trees left? There are. There. there are? Uh, so, uh, with with Dutch elm disease, you know, if it's an older tree, uh, you definitely want to treat it ahead of time. But more importantly, going forward for the future, uh, the industry has developed a uh, several. Um, resistant varieties of elm tree um, that uh, two of them that are that are really popular is are, uh, Valley Forge and Princeton. Uh, both are resistant to uh, Dutch elm disease, and you know they're trees that you'll be able to plant and and not have to inoculate them with the with the fungicide. Interesting. So they've developed strains that can actually resist this fungus and thrive. That's great. Well, so I'm just going to start walking through this list that I have from the DEC, and you can tell me what you know or any other things that you think people should know. The first one on my list is the emerald ash borer, and it it says that it's an Asian beetle, and what do you look for in a tree if you've got one in your yard that you want to watch out and not if you've got an ash tree and not have it infested, what kinds of things should people know about? Well, uh, one is with with this particular insect, we are rarely looking for the beetle. They're a really uh, they're a really small insect, and because of the nature of ash tree and having a really furrowed bark, uh, it's really hard to see. 
uh, like their exit holes. They're they're a very small D shaped exit hole, and we rarely see them. What but what did we, you say D like the letter D yep, shaped? Oh, really, isn't that interesting? Well, the reason that that is like that they're uh, they're in a group of borers called a flathead borer, and okay. uh, one the the bottom side of their head is actually flat. And the top side is rounded, so like when they exit, oh, they make become, a yeah. shape like that, yep. huh? Uh, so the uh, so you were saying you can't really see the beetle; they're too oh, small. Right. So it's not the beetle that we that we look for; it's actually the damage from the woodpeckers that we look for. Uh, it, they cause a uh, it's a symptom called blonding. Uh, and it's where the woodpeckers actually pull off pieces of the bark, and then uh, and then the bark turns a blondish color. And uh, usually at that point, when we start seeing blonding, we're also seeing uh, their uh, epicormic water sprouts, which are uh, a lot of people refer to them as suckers. Uh, and that's a d- direct result from the feeding habit of the immature. Uh, uh, larvae, which are underneath the bark, and they make sort of a uh, they make sort of S shaped galleries that uh, when when they when they move through the uh, uh, the vascular tissue, they cut off they cut off the flow of water and nutrients, uh, but they also uh, it also causes the tree to uh, uh, to put out some different compounds, uh, a gibberellin uh, auxin, which causes shoots to, to pop out. And so we end up seeing trees that have sort of blonde color on the bark and a bunch of shoots that, like, don't look right. And uh, and then, of course, the tree starts to decline. And, you know, once it's in that, uh, once it's at that point, there's usually nothing we can do. Uh, we can We can treat trees that are infected, but it has to be, uh, we have to catch it pretty early, and you know, less than a less than one fourth of the crown of the tree, the whole crown of the tree, uh, can uh, needs to not be infected. Otherwise, the tree just doesn't have the ability to take up uh, the water nutrients. And uh, so, the crown is the leaves and branches up yep. above the trunk, and if, if more than a quarter of that is affected, it's just not over work. for the tree. Yeah. But if it's not, then what is it that you can do? Uh, we uh, so depending on where you are in uh, in the country and the level of infestation, there's a couple of different options for us here. Uh, best option is to do a trunk injection. At the base of the tree, there's a, uh, it's called a root collar or root flare where the, you know, we've all seen it. It's where the tree has a, uh, where, where the tree bit, uh, flares out at the base. Mm-hmm. And, and that's where we can most effectively uh, drill holes and inject an insecticide into the tree. And it lasts two years uh, in the tree. Um, you know, it gets, it gets stored away and, in different cells inside the tree and uh and we can really effectively uh treat the treat the tree but uh if you're in an area where you know you you don't have a lot of uh pressure from the from the insect yet uh you can actually do a soil injection of uh of a of a chemical called imiclopred it sort of gets imiclopred gets a little bit of a bad rap um uh for 
you know, not being great for the bees and that kind of stuff, but it's a really effective uh, method to control uh, EAB if if the pressure's low. Uh, so EAB is the emerald ash borer, yes. I see, and this is like a preventative thing you do in the soil. Wow, it occurred to me as you're talking... You should write an alphabet book for Willow based on natural <laughs> phenomenon because you've got the D-shaped borehole, you've got the S-shaped. I mean, just watching for all these signs, it's just mind-boggling. Okay, so I'm now going to turn the page and see the next thing that I have down is the Asian longhorn beetle, which I guess you would call the ALB. <laughs> so what... Another thing from China and Korea, and these things come into the country how? Usually, uh, you know, most of the time it's on pallets. Oh, uh, packing. On on wood pallets that are on barges. and uh, So they're bored into that wood, and then they come here and replicate. So what what are the signs of that? That's, at least by this picture here, that's bigger. It's like the size of half of a man's finger. So it is a very large insect. Uh, the exit holes are enormous, about the size of a pencil. Uh, and they the, prob- the, the biggest problem with this insect is that, uh, that it attacks the hardwoods uh, in our area, the maples, the oaks, uh, so it's here in our midst. We have these. not so much right here. Okay. Uh, more and and it, and it's even mostly under control in, in New York City. Uh, there was a big population in Massachusetts, and I think there's still a little bit there, but uh, very uh, working very hard to to eradicate it. Um, it's often uh, it's often confused with a native insect to here, uh, which. Uh, which attacks conifers, which is the spotted sawyer. Uh, but the Asian longhorn beetle is mostly uh, it's mostly black in color, a little bit bigger, uh, doesn't have the really uh, defined dots that the that the spotted sawyer has. There's sort of like a, there's a little bit of white sometimes on the on the um, Asian longhorn beetle, but. Uh, so a homeowner, if it had this in his or her yard, it wouldn't be like you'd have to wait, as you did with the emerald ash borer, for the woodpecker to, you know, expose it. You can actually see these, and yeah, is that what you look for, or are there signs that you look for? Or? Well, you would be you would be looking for a declining tree first. That doesn't necessarily happen right away with like like emerald ash borer, but these these insects are so big. Uh, that so, like, what is this? Like, for you, it's probably second nature. You look at a tree and you say that tree is declining. But, like, what does the average person look for? How, how do you know a tree is declining? Uh, for an insect like the like uh, Asian longhorn beetle, we'd and and really a lot of other trees too. But we're really looking sort of towards the top of the tree. Uh, if you think about like uh, like if you have a hose somewhere, you know, at your house, and there's a. a you know, you get a hole or a kink somewhere early on. Just like when the, when the insect is is cutting off the vascular tissue, uh, there's the top is declining. It's losing leaves. It's uh, you get dead sections, uh, but the but the lower crown may be okay uh, for for a bit. 
So it's obvious. Somebody could obviously see this. Yeah. I, they're not specific signs you have to look for, as you were saying, with the emerald ash borer, with these sprouts coming out and the blonding. It's just the tree looks like it's dying, and it's got these big beetles on it. Right. So then you call your your friendly neighborhood arborist, and you arrive on the scene, and what, what do you do? Uh, the treatment op- options are not real great once they're infested the majority of the time the tree is removed oh you just uh, have to cut down the yeah, tree oh just, yep. so that's that and do they is there anything like you were talking about the preventative thing that you can do to keep it from moving to other trees on your property yep or? there's a uh it's and it's generally that imidacloprid that i uh, was briefly talked about a minute ago with injecting in the ground except with with the uh Asian longhorn beetle is generally it's a different form of the of the material, but it's injected in the trunk, uh, and you know it's the tree gets inoculated like that. And then the tree system, it's you refer to it as is it like a circulatory system. I don't know enough about trees. I guess it has it draws up nutrients through channels that are kind of like veins. No. Yep. Uh, yes. Exactly okay. like that. The right underneath the bark, there's a the tissue primarily that moves stuff up the tree that usually material that we're trying to move goes with is the xylem tissue uh and uh as the material goes up it's also getting stored inside the tree and we've all seen sort of a cross section of a tree where like the uh where there's like looks sort of like a target where it's like splitting afterwards Mm -hmm. those are uh uh, those are are rays or ray cells, and that's where the uh, that is where the the material gets stored. Uh, okay, well, I'm going way off the track here. I have my list of you know pests, but here's a question. Willow probably will ask you this soon if she hasn't already. Every kid at this time of year asks, why do the leaves turn color? I never know what the answer is, but as long as we've got you here, what, why why do the leaves turn color in the fall? What, sure. What's that about? Uh, well, the, what, what we're actually seeing when the leaves uh, turn is a, the tree's natural pigment. That is that That would have been the color of that leaf had chlorophyll not been uh, in the in the mix, which is which makes the leaves green. green yeah. uh, so, so they're revealing their true colors in the fall. They they're exactly doing that, and it's it's really actually pretty simple. The you know we get a certain amount of light, uh, certain temperatures, uh, and right at the base of the the leaf uh, where it connects to the branch, the tree naturally forms a cork layer and sort of blocks cork, off like a bottle cork. Cork, mm-hmm. okay. And it, it blocks off. Uh, uh, material from going in and out, and so chlorophyll is no longer uh, present in the leaf, and then it just turns its natural pigment. And then the leaf falls off. And it falls off, yep. So do you know why some falls are better than others for color? I mean, there's some years when it just pops, and there are other years like this one. It looks a little kind of I don't know. I have, honestly, <laughs> no, I, have, okay. I have no idea. Not an arborist question. So I'm moving along on our next next invasive pest here, which is oak wilt. It seems to kind of describe itself, but do you know what causes that and what you do about it? Sure. What you look for? Yep. Uh, oak, oak wilt is a, it's a pathogen. 
uh, and it's actually spread by, uh, they're mostly referred to as like picnic beetles. Picnic? Uh, yeah, they're like, like we're going to go by a lake with a cloth. They're the, they're food? the beetles that that are attracted to like like smell and uh, oh, so uh, they'll come and join your picnic. Yep. I see. And so they're they're actually spreading the the because it's a it's a fungal disease, and they're spreading the spores uh, up to where like uh, like where pruning cuts are, uh, and and this oak oak wilt disease. Uh, what it does is it actually the the fungus gets inside that xylem tissue and it plugs it up and it and it ends up killing the tree because it can't get water or, water or nutrients. So, oh, so it's like suffocating it almost. It, it is, yeah. It's cutting. It's just cutting off the. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, it's like and gosh. so the you know a couple of important things with with oak wilt disease the um, one is is pruning time on the oaks. Uh, we want to make sure that that we're doing any pruning during the dormant season. Maybe I'll just get you on another little side path here. I know that people prune shrubs, but I didn't know. You're, are you supposed to regularly prune your trees? Uh, depending on the tree. Really? Like an oak tree is supposed to be pruned? M- mostly sort of larger oaks uh, uh, or larger trees in general, uh the pruning that's done on that is a little bit different. It's more it's more dead branches. Uh, it's uh, protecting the tree from sort of snow load damage by you know reducing ends that are like really out past the, the contour of the crown. Uh, you know, it's a lot. It's I guess I, I try to I try to refer to how we treat trees like sort of like we treat babies like early on there's like a lot of little visits like the doctor uh you know we make only a couple of pruning cuts here on a little tree but when we get to be older trees like that they are uh they're fewer uh they're fewer visits but they're they're more time consuming they're more in depth we're pruning out bigger dead wood or you know reducing the tree uh so Huh. I, I've never known that you were supposed to prune trees and you didn't feel tree guilt. Okay, so I got you off the track here. You were talking about oak wilt and how you have to be careful when you prune it. Um, timing. The timing is, is the most important thing because we don't want to create a situation where, uh, where the picnic beetles have... Um, have moved the spores of the pathogen to the cut of the oak and then and then the pathogen the the, the fungal pathogen gets uh, established in the tree. Okay, well one of the things the DEC says that they do for this oak wilt, and maybe you know something about this, I I just can't imagine how you'd set it up, that they set up quarantine districts to kind of limit what can come in and out of that area to to keep it from spreading? Have you ever been part of a quarantine district? I have. Uh, it is as effective uh, as the um, sort of like the the honesty and the uh, and the willingness of the the people that are dealing with trees in an area. You know, if someone wants to sneak trees around and firewood and that kind of stuff. 
they're going to do it. I, as a kid, I had scarlet fever, and I got quarantined in my house. They put a big thing on the front door, and there I was, you know. But, I mean, with trees, I, so what they do is they put up a kind of like a rough perimeter area, and you're not supposed to take wood out of there? Is that the idea? Yeah, but it's not like, uh, it's not like they're putting up a fence. It's a... It's usually a map that that you're given, or, or or an area is given, and they're saying you know nothing in, inside or out of here. Uh, but like I said, it's a. Uh, so can they be effective? I mean, if people absolutely, call those, yeah, yep. it keeps it contained in that one area. Yep. So, but the solution isn't to like you were saying with an earlier pest to just like I think it was the ash. No, I forget which one it was that when it. it it just is too far. You have to take down the tree. The longhorn beetle. Asian that was longhorn, it, yep. yeah. But so in this case, with the oak wilt, it, it's worth it not to take down the tree, but just to try to contain the area that it's in. Yes, because there's not really a good, uh, there's not a terribly good treatment for it once it's once it's established uh, to the point where the tree is, you know, declining and dying and... Uh, the best thing, take it down and uh, chip it, and so. Okay, so then I'm on to something that I had to listen on my computer how to pronounce it. So tell me if I have it wrong. The hemlock woolly aldegid. Adelgid. Adelgid. Yep. Adelgid. Okay. So can you tell us about that? I'm assuming it affects hemlocks, but how do you know and what do you do? So, <clears throat> the the hemlock woolly adelgid, uh, another uh, another invasive pest, uh, it is usually fa- well. It's always found on the on the bottom side of the needle, uh, sort of way up close to where the needle meets the stem, and it's really in in late winter, early spring that that you can see. Uh, those egg masses the easiest they're they're really what do they look like 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 little balls of wool oh yep they're they're really I would say they're about the size of say like a BB uh, from from like a BB gun or a or a shotgun that kind of like small uh, mm-hmm. and uh, and so that that insect is uh it does its damage in numbers uh, because it it attaches to the uh, to the vascular system of the tree and it actually extracts out the the uh, the chlorophyll and uh, and after you know seven or ten years it could it could actually just kill the tree uh, right out so uh, but there are really great uh, preventative and really great preventative treatments and there's also uh, fairly good treatments for trees that are already infected <clears throat> as long as the tree isn't uh, to the point where it can't take up the material anymore so what is the treatment it's another injection that you do into the system uh, th- that is one option but the most uh, the most common is actually it's a coarse sort of spray uh, that is actually applied to the trunk of the tree uh, with a uh, with a surfactant, which is just a, a surfactant is just a uh, it's a chemical that's added to another chemical 
that makes it work better. So this this particular surfactant, uh, it, it makes the insecticide get absorbed through the bark and into the vascular system, and it it actually moves very quickly uh, and kills off the uh, the woolly adelgid. I think we have time for one more. So I'm going to ask you about, and might be pronouncing this one wrong too, the Cerex wood wasp. Do you know anything about that? No, I finally stumped you. All right, well, I don't know anything about it either. Is there a common name on it's, it? Um, it says it is a Eurasian native. It was first uncovered in New York in 2004 in Fulton and Oswego County. And it is an exotic. What does that mean? I don't know. Well, any all the insects that we've talked about are exotic. Okay, it's one of the top ten most serious forest insect pests. So maybe it's less neighborhood trees like you deal with, and more has to do with forests. But do you have, in all your vast experience, any advice for people on? What trees are safe to plant or what trees are less likely to be affected by some of these pests? Well, the, uh, truly the, big, uh, the problem that we have is that uh, so the, the exotic plants that we plant here, like a lot of the, you know, a lot of the crab apples or you know, plants that are a lot of times are from Asia, so we are ourselves opening ourselves up to this, you're saying, because they're not native plants. So what's a native tree? Tons of native trees. There's the, a lot of the oaks here are native. Uh, the, you know, like the sugar maples, the red maples, the silver maples. Uh, and are those a likely bet, those maples or the oaks for not having a lot of problems with this? Or there's some well, trees that... See, the thing. here's the thing, like the... We uh, like we bring those plants in, right? And they're not able to deal with our native pests here. And then we then the the the, uh, the exotic pests that come here are the the tree, the native trees are not able to deal with them. So I see. it's a I see uh, it's a conundrum. <laughs> a little bit, but there there are you know there are trees that are less likely to be infected with. D- different insects or pathogens uh, you know um, there's nothing I like more than helping someone uh, uh, find the right tree uh, and what do you do how do you help someone find the right tree like what kind of things do you look at or think about well we, we want to look at the site uh, what the site conditions are uh, what the soil conditions are how much room uh, for the tree and, and when we say how much room not like how much room now how much room in 20 years when when the tree is, you know, a lot bigger. What kind of trees do you have in your yard? Uh, Let's see. Uh, Yellowwood, which is one of my favorite. Why? Why is that a favorite? Uh, It's just a great tree with a tremendous fall color, has a really awesome flower show in the spring. It's it's not native to this area, but it is native a little bit uh, south into the uh, the mountains of Tennessee and uh, West Virginia, uh, but the tree does very well here. Great tree for like um, if you want a tree that doesn't get like massively huge, but you want like a nice tree. That's a yeah. good. That's a good bet. Uh, Zelkova 
another great tree. I don't know that Zelkova. It's it's not a native, uh, uh, but still one of my favorite trees. Why? Why is that a favorite? It's got a uh, it's a really multi season interest. Uh, it's uh, really uh, the the bark is sort of exfoliating and uh, uh, the leaves are uh, they're sort of elmy looking. In fact, that tree was was really introduced here to replace the elm. Oh, those uh, elms it, are so majestic. Yeah. So does it have It does have that very, of, yep. Oh, that arching crown. And then my, my favorite tree of, of all time is the Katsura. But uh, there is another one I don't know, Katsura? Uh, Katsura, yep. Katsura. Uh, introduced here after after uh, World War II uh, as sort of a... Uh, mm, from Japan after after the war, uh, uh, with, with the peace treaty, and uh, that's how we got it here. And it's uh, it's just a really, really tremendous. What uh, does it look like? I I don't know it. I can't picture. They have like like small heart shaped leaves, and uh, my favorite part, two favorite parts about it are in the fall uh, when their leaves are getting ready to fall. It gives off an odor of like burnt sugar, uh, like sort of like uh, like cotton candy. Uh, <laughs> really awesome, uh, and the and the fall color is really cool. No flower, but um, the catsura. Yeah, really great tree. Well, Joe, thank you. I've learned so much. I really appreciate. Oh, this. thanks for thanks for uh, for for inviting me. I I appreciate it a lot.